0: Welcome to the Orange County Catholic Radio Show on AM 1000 in Orange and San Diego counties and on AM 930 in Los Angeles County. Each week, we bring you compelling conversation with church leaders and laity, talking about the things going on in our diocese and discussing the important issues that impact the world around us. We're coming to you through the good offices of Relevant Radio, from our studios on the campus of Christ Cathedral in Garden Grove, where Catholic faith is crystal clear. Here now to introduce our guest and today's topic is your host, Rick Howick.
1: And welcome to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host, and with me today is Dr. Patrick Merrill. And first of all, before we get started in doing anything else, I want to welcome you, Dr. Pat. Thank you. <laughs> Do you want to be called Pat for this? Patrick is fine. Patrick yeah. is fine. And if you would be so kind to lead us in a word of prayer, I think we would all be thankful.
2: Okay, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Hail, Holy Queen, Mother of Mercy, our life, our sweetness, and our hope. To thee do we cry, poor banished children of Eve. To thee do we send up our sighs, mourning and weeping in this valley of tears. Turn then, most gracious advocate, thine eyes of mercy towards us. And after this, our exile, show unto us the blessed fruit of thy womb, Jesus. O clement, O loving, O sweet Virgin Mary, pray for us, O Holy Mother of God, that we may be worthy of the promises of Christ. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.
1: I like that prayer during uh, the last year or so. Relevant Radio has been using that prayer as a way of trying to generate support for um the elimination of abortion around the world. They're trying to do 1 million memoraries, which uh, they did last year. So trying to do 2 million this year, which would be good. We, we've just contributed to yeah, that, so I'm right. glad to hear that. We're with you today. You are with us today to talk a little bit about life issues. But before we start into that, I want to make sure that we've talked a little bit about you and why we would have you on here you are a cardiologist you've retired not that long ago having worked in cardiology for a number of years and a catholic where did you go to school
2: i graduated from the university of illinois i did an undergraduate uh, there and then got a uh, my md uh, back in 1984
1: and then you've been doing cardiology as a specialty ever since
2: Well, I did my uh, uh, post-medical training up in uh, Santa Clara, California, and then uh, was hired down in uh, Riverside. And I've been working in Riverside since uh, 1987, doing uh, cardiology, basically back to that time.
1: So the types of things that you do is not just diagnostic. You also do surgery. You do invasive things as well, or at least you, you used to.
2: In the olden days, the olden uh, days. I did uh, some, uh, but uh, as a clinical cardiologist, uh, my uh, main practice was uh, to see, identify, uh, treat, uh, and follow up patients with cardiac uh, issues. We have a group uh, who do uh, the interventions uh, and, the, uh, and, and surgery at a hospital, not at our facility, but uh, we provide all Cardiac services. I've been, I participate in, in taking care of patients uh, from the time when they get identified to the management thereof and then post interventional <laughs> therapies.
1: Interventional can, therapies can be very interventional.
2: Yeah, they can be, uh, uh, you know, including bypass surgeries, valve replacements, heart transplants, device in, uh, in implants uh, with pacemakers and implantable defibrillators.
1: Your job is to keep people alive. Well,
2: that's, (laughs) yes. Especially
1: (laughs) at the heart level. And the reason I I (laughs) cut to the chase on that is because we live in a society today, especially in the state of California, where the idea of taking life as a medical uh, practice has become part of our reality. And my conversations with you have led me to believe that you have some heartburn with that. Well, I would,
2: yeah, yeah, pun intended. And I got to say, yeah, I, I would, I would have to agree, uh, that, uh, you know, all of my training has been, uh, directed towards the advancement of, uh, and the success for maintaining life. I actually, I tell my patients that my job is to help alleviate their moral concerns so that they can direct their attentions to their more immortal. Concerns,
1: the more immoral concerns. I like that. That's right. So, if we're if we're looking at what the state of California has done recently, it's made it possible so that people who have been identified with a terminal illness to be able to petition a doctor, and they can provide a, a, a deadly cocktail to be able to end somebody's life. You went to school uh, not that long ago, but back in the old days, mm-hmm. you used to take the Hippocratic oath. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if they still do in all locations. I've heard they don't always. That's correct. What is wrong from a Catholic perspective, from a physician's perspective? Really two different questions, I guess. What is wrong with the idea that someone who's approaching the end of their life and the medical um, options are are running out, what's wrong with artificially terminating the life under those circumstances?
2: Well, firstly, it goes against all the training or all the emphasis that has been inculcated during the um, medical school education. It's not something that uh, at least in my training period, we were educated in how to end a life. And then secondly, as a from a Catholic perspective, I, I look at it as your Truncating the opportunity first for a person's temporal sufferings, for the expiation of sins on their own behalf, but also their uh, ability to live with grace under the duress of discomfort and demonstrating to others how they can, too, learn to live with their discomforts.
1: Now, what do you mean by that? You've been around the block on this for quite some time. You've seen people that have been in a great deal of pain and a great deal of suffering. Uh, some, I'm sure, have have asked you if there are ways to either alleviate the pain or to hurry the process along. You've therefore had to deal with some of this. Have you seen instances where someone who is going through suffering has had a positive effect on their life.
2: I've seen multiple instances of people who have been with critical illnesses, uh, terminal illnesses what, whatnot, have by the mere act of living uh, demonstrated to their uh, the witnessing relatives and friends of how to live with their discomfort and continue to um, live with faith and to demonstrate how, they can endure with grace.
1: So what you're saying is you've seen people that have gone through this, and while you may not be able to to see in the person themselves the grace, they're clearly demonstrating that grace to the observers, the people around them, their family, their friends, the people who have interacted with their lives.
2: It matters. People view how they witness how an individual who is suffering Endures, and they can get a life message. They they can learn how they can deal with their own problems. How often is it said that, my gosh, you know, uh, how much they suffered, and I have I only have this much that I have to deal with. You know how how they can endure with all what they've got. You know I should be able to handle my problems as as minuscule as they are as uh, in comparison to what another person is suffering. So I've seen, I've seen people who, uh, who have been able to, I guess, deepen their own life convictions, faith from observing other people who have gone, going through, uh, you know, the end of life issues.
1: Not that long ago, we had John Paul, uh, pass on for our younger millennialists. That was two popes ago. So, but for the people who watched John Paul decline, there was a certain sense of dignity and grace that he had despite the photos of him slunched over in his wheelchair, sometimes even with drool. You'd see it sometimes on the you'd see them go up and wipe his face as he was beginning to have a little. Yet he still maintained a public presence and there was value in doing that. He wrote in his encyclical um oh, I'm drawing a blank on the name of it, but it had to do with the value of human suffering, that we don't know what that last bit of suffering is going to do for either the patient, who may for the first time have to confront things that they may not have ever confronted before. When there is no more standing in the way, there are no more uh, blockages, there are no more. Nothing matters anymore except that final encounter with God. Or for the people, as you described around them, who are witnessing this and seeing how they're facing death as a natural part of life, what that does to people. How does short circuiting that? I guess I'm asking the question, is there a value on the other side? I mean, we will use, for example, palliative care that sometimes can approach the level of almost knocking somebody out. So they feel very little pain and sometimes it results even in hastening death. Not that it was intended to do that, but it can do that, correct?
2: That is correct. And, firstly, it's always the idea from a physician's perspective is, you know, dating back to the the primum nocerum comment that was generated in the 19th century but can be traced back in earlier times, that you do no harm. You want to do no harm to a patient. Trying to make them comfortable is always the... Emphasis in taking care of uh, patients. So you can be compassionate and care and help alleviate pain, but there is the uh, bright line of distinction about terminating life and alleviating pain. Granted, you know, doing things that alleviate pain may, as you mentioned, uh, decrease the uh, ticks of the clock that a person might have, but it's not the intent of terminating a person's life. And uh, going back to the what is the benefit for a person uh, who's going through this suffering? You're right. They they have that opportunity of, of making their commitment to God uh, at that in those last final minutes, seconds, hours, days that they can uh, have a to use an old phrase coming to Jesus moment. You know, historically, you can talk about even George Washington had. Eschewed using a new technique at the time uh, to help his uh, difficulty breathing at, in his, in his, prior to his demise of, of doing a, a tracheostomy. He declined doing that. You have uh, examples uh, uh, in the uh, comments uh, made in a book uh, on the Curé d'Ars uh, about St. John Vienna about a woman who was distraught about her husband uh, jumping off of a bridge and wondering whether she'd, uh, he'd ever make it to heaven. St. John Vianney had indicated that through his abilities uh, that he had made a, a spontaneous, complete conversion or a, prior to him entering the water.
1: When we come back, I want to um, pick up a little bit on some of the threads that come to us about why life is seeming to be so disposable in our society. You're listening to Orange County Catholic Radio. With me today is Dr. Patrick Merrill. And we're talking about the value of human life from a Catholic perspective, and we're talking about it with a physician. And we will be right back.
3: Timory here, of trending with Timory. This week, my guest is Father Tim Grumbach, and we talk about the new biopic Motley Crew available on Netflix. I wouldn't recommend watching it, however, it's a reminder of how effeminacy is leaking into our culture, and how regaining a better understanding of perseverance is going to help really challenge men and build them up in our culture. Listen to this and much more as you check out Trending with Timory this Sunday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, here on Relevant Radio.
4: This is John Romeri, Director of Music at Christ Cathedral in Garden Grove, California. We are just months away from the dedication of our beautiful cathedral. But in the meantime, we have some spectacular concerts at Christ Cathedral. Check out our website at ChristCathedralMusic.org or our Facebook page at Christ Cathedral Music. We'd love to see you here. Christ Cathedral Concerts. Great music in a sacred place. For tickets, visit ChristCathedralMusic.org. Welcome back to Orange County
1: Catholic Radio, coming to you high atop the Tower of Hope in beautiful Garden Grove, California, where Catholic faith is crystal clear. I'm Rick Howick, your host, and with me today is Dr. Patrick Merrill. And Dr. Merrill, uh, affectionately known as Dr. Patrick, is a cardiologist who has recently semi-retired. I understand you still keep your, yourself busy going in from time to time, consulting and, and doing some work for your, your old hospital. And we have him on today talking not just about what it's been like to be a cardiologist, which I really haven't gotten into a whole lot, but what it's like to be a Catholic physician in an era where life seems to be so disposable. We were talking at the very end about a story of uh, the cure to ours, uh St. Vianney, who, John Vianney, who had the gift of being able to read souls. And he was talking to a woman, who wanted to know if, his, if her husband who had committed suicide by jumping off a bridge if he was, would go to heaven. And he had a, a gift of the knowledge that at the moment before he hit the water, he had repentance. And therefore, he had the ability to go to heaven eventually. So purgatory in between. Yeah. And it's that last bit of life that sometimes can make all the difference. And as a physician, we were talking about how you've seen that that even suffering, not only for the patient, but for the people who are taking care of the patient, that it can be very important for them to confront what is really valuable about life. I want to kind of shift gears for just a moment and ask you as a Catholic physician and and an observer of life in America right now, what is going on that's causing us to so fundamentally, as a culture, leave behind what seemed to be the centrality of of the sacredness of human life to where we can throw it away so easily, whether it be in abortion at the beginning or the euthanasia at the end. What do you think is happening?
2: Well, again, it's when you you treat life as a commodity and not a gift, if you treat it as something that is a negotiable uh, entity, When you start negotiating with a unit of life, you can negotiate anything, and so I liken it to having a a three-dimensional faith compressed into a two-dimensional system, where everything becomes morally relativistic, and it's just that uh, when you start saying when you start uh, having things being as as it is morally relativistic, then life becomes cheap, and as as it's cheap. It becomes disposable.
1: You've taken away one of the three components, then, to a three-dimensional world. If you take God out of the equation, I assume that that's the dimension that we're losing, that we're limited <coughs> only to a human being within a physical world, Exactly. which is two dimensions. Exactly. Therefore, you can put a, a value, an absolute value, on, on life, which means if a baby is more trouble than it's, quote, worth, unquote, with air quotes, yeah,
3: quote, right. then...
1: You can dispose of the baby. And if life is measured just in how human beings experience in this physical world, then the measurement of its value would come down to how much pleasure and pain or how much enjoyment you're having out of life, which is an awfully dangerous, slippery slope, especially when we start getting into people that have handicaps, people that have other issues. We almost go back to if you're going to take God out of the picture – we're, we're back to some of the questions that were being answered in some negative ways by the Nazis back in the 1930s and 40s. I see America not too far, myself personally, I see America not too far from decisions that will resemble that if we're not careful. Are you seeing attitudes in our society from a physician's perspective that resemble that?
2: Well, fortunately, in, in in my clinical experience, these are not the birth and uh, and abortion conversations are really not part of my uh, my common practice. Even the end of life issues are relatively rare in in my experience, because typically, with the advances that we've had in medicine, in cardiology, we've been so successful about alleviating cardiac conditions, maintaining or managing or improving cardiac conditions, that uh, you know, end-of-life issues are usually pushed later on. Most, I'd say now, uh, patients who have some type of cardiac problem are managed, uh, and they eventually will pass from another reason. So the end-of-life issues, they do come up often in, in cardiology, uh, but the, uh, the abortion issues generally don't. But speaking from a Catholic perspective, you do see a decrease in the, of the value of life based on desires, or the uh, the um, where a person's uh, personal uh, satisfaction or feelings are put in front of a viable uh, life.
1: So, if we're talking about then the value of human life being squashed into just two dimensions, because you've taken away God out of the picture. If there is no God to give meaning to human beings, then there is only physical value to human life. And I'm seeing in our culture evidence that we're moving increasingly in that direction, that life becomes, as you put it, more of a commodity that you can negotiate. What I guess I'm trying to get to, or what I'm asking, are you seeing people who, when they're weighing life and they're weighing death, that they're... What they're taking into account isn't so much their immortal soul as they're taking into account the, the pleasure, the pain, the, the more tangible issues of the here and now.
2: Yes, I am, uh, but not necessarily from those people that are immediately around me uh, because in my community is, is pretty much a Catholic community. Even in my practice, uh, the, in a secular organization, Most of the patients who come to see me, they have a well-defined faith system, whether they be Catholic or not. Uh, So I don't know if they're coming to me because of that particular bent that um, I'm being particularly selected because of my particular beliefs, or that's their particular beliefs, or whether that's the general feeling for the clientele uh, and the age groups that I'm seeing that would be a common thing. I don't see a lot of millennials. There's not a lot of people who have cardiac problems that are coming to see me, and I'm an adult cardiologist. So I don't see a lot of the things that are going on you know, in in schools, high schools, and even in college students. I don't know what's going on there. But I would say there is a disturbing trend, at least what you see in society at large, uh, and even some of the things from the organization that I've been working with, the movement towards the facilitation of creating abortions or uh, creating methods for abortion at an earlier stage in, in the pregnancy. It it, is, it has been disturbing. So, yes, I've, I've seen that over the last 20 years, both in pharmaceutical developments as well as other things
1: that have been going on, even politically. So if we're looking then in your fields in cardiology, you're going to have people, especially those who are older, who have other issues that are going on beyond their heart, that are going to contribute to decisions about life and death. From a Catholic cardiologist's perspective, have you encountered some of those hard decisions about what someone should be doing in order to preserve their life versus um, perhaps not interfering beyond what is absolutely necessary? Because I know that within Catholic faith, there is a limit to what we're required to do in order to save life. We don't have to do extraordinary means- if the extraordinary means are not going to have extraordinary benefits. We have to be able to do what we can do in order to help protect life, but there's a certain point where we are allowed to say enough.
2: Yes, and, and that that actually has, has come up. I've, I've seen instances where patients who are sporting a device called an implantable defibrillator, have, uh, which has a remarkable ability of identifying uh, what would be a terminal arrhythmia in a person, and then going ahead and uh, managing that uh, by either uh, pacing or electrical shock to help interfere, interrupt with that arrhythmia.
1: Is this what former uh, Vice President Dick Cheney had or something like it?
2: Well, I believe he did have an defibrillator.
1: Like yeah. yes. But
2: in any event, uh, you know, there are times where a patient who has had uh, multiple therapies for a sudden death-preventing Event or sudden death event that could be prevented by a, a shock uh, or therapy of thereof, they've asked if they could have their device dis, uh, either discontinued or removed. There is a uh, to a degree an off switch on on the device, and uh, uh, you know it is it is possible that those devices can be interrupted or therapies can be uh, discontinued. And there are instances I've been uh, involved with where a patient did ask me to discontinue the therapies that his device was giving. And and because of his clinical situation, I agreed that he could have his device uh, discontinued.
1: But that's within the perspective, then, of taking into account you as a Catholic physician, taking into account the fact that he's got other issues that are going on that are going to make continued therapy something that would be more invasive than it would be worth in order to try to preserve or prolong the life.
2: Well, the other thing, yes, and that's true, but even uh, just saying that uh, by allowing essentially nature to take its course, I don't think that's inconsistent with the Catholic uh, faith.
1: No, no, that's that actually is kind of the way, that's very well put, allowing nature to take its course, not interfering to cut it short. Exactly. Okay. You're listening to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host. And with me today is Dr. Patrick Merrill. And we're talking about what a Catholic physician has experienced in some of the life issues. Uh, we're going to shift gears again when we come back. I want to talk about a personal encounter that he has had within his own family. Uh, we're going to bring this up, Dr. Merrill, because I I happen to know Dr. Merrill from, from uh, my personal relationship with him. And um, he's got quite a story to tell about his granddaughter, and we will be right back.
4: The passing of a loved one is a difficult and often sorrowful step in life's journey. The helpful and supportive staff at the Cathedral Memorial Garden Cemetery, located on the 34-acre iconic Christ Cathedral Campus, are here to assist you and your family through this transition, offering a central location, serene garden-like grounds, majestic fountains, and a dramatic statuary, all set within the beautiful Christ Cathedral Campus. For more information, please visit memorialgardens.christcathedralcalifornia.org or contact 714-489-6102.
3: In L.A. County, there are more than 28,000 children in foster care. And sadly, every day more children enter the system. But their story doesn't have to end there. Maybe you've been thinking about starting or expanding your family. If so, there's a child in foster care waiting for you. A simple visit to fosterall.org can change the course of a child's life and yours. As a proud partner with the Archdiocese of Los Angeles, Foster All takes the guesswork out of navigating the foster-adopt process and will match you with a foster family agency that suits your needs. Each agency is different, so let Foster All be your guide. Log on to fosterall.org. There's a community of amazing people waiting to support your decision to love a child. And Foster All is right beside you the entire way. Do you have room in your heart and your home for a child? Begin your journey with Foster All today at FosterAll.org. That's FosterAll.org.
1: And welcome back to Orange County Catholic Radio, coming to you from Christ Cathedral in beautiful Garden Grove, California, with me today is Dr. Patrick Merrill, and we've been talking about what it's like to be a Catholic physician, and you've recently retired, so you've had a career now of seeing the changes in America, and your career has been primarily out in California, so you've seen what it's like in California. It's been disappointing, I would assume, in some of the I don't want to call it political because it really isn't so much political, it's just from a sociological perspective to watch California adopt laws that allow for abortions, that allow for um, intentional ending of life euthanasia, especially when you've got such personal attachments. You know, we, we look at our own families and we say, oh, my God, I would never want to lose any one of these children. You've had a, an event that took place in your family not that long ago, and we were talking about, all, frankly, there's no other way to describe it except the miraculous outcome to it so far. Tell us a little bit about your granddaughter.
2: Okay, I'll I'll do that. But I first want to just, before I lose the thought, I want to say, you know, I find it interesting that California will adopt laws, but they don't seem to be uh, stressing the adoption of children. Yes. I just wanted wanted to throw that out there. We we
1: do that very well in California. We adopt laws, but we don't adopt children. We're going to eliminate the death penalty, which I, I don't want to get into but we're not going to take away the death penalty from unborn children. Exactly. What a shame. Well, anyway,
2: more to your point, uh, and, uh, Rick, and thank you for giving me the opportunity of, to talk about my my little miracle, which is my baby granddaughter, a gift from my daughter, uh, who got married last year down at uh, San Diego's uh, Mission and then uh, had uh, in earlier uh, this year in January the birth of my granddaughter, Charlotte.
1: Now, there was a problem diagnosed in utero with Charlotte.
2: That's correct. Uh, Charlotte has an, actually a a, a, remarkable, a remarkably unfortunate problem of an uh, underdeveloped right ventricle and an uh, actually even more underdeveloped pulmonary artery and pulmonary valve.
1: So wait, you, the heart doctor, had <coughs> to hear that your grandchild in utero is, has got a heart problem, a big heart problem. Yeah. Or I guess it's a wrong term, a small heart problem.
2: And not only that, but a uh, extraordinarily profound heart problem. And in fact, describing it to people, you'd say there is no way her right ventricle, which normally pushes blood to the lungs for oxygenation, will function. So she has a remarkable circulation that is dependent all on her left ventricle for both the output of the right and the left ventricle.
1: Well, I don't want to go there just yet. I want to go back to the story for just a moment. Okay. So in utero, we had been notified that your granddaughter uh, was in need of prayers. And so a lot of us who know you kind of hit our knees and started to pray. My understanding in talking to a couple of people in the medical field, independent of you, is the types of problems that were diagnosed for the pre-born child are often solved so to speak through abortion (laughs) that there's a, a belief that most of the outcomes to this kind of a case are not good and usually result in a very short life like minutes or hours not weeks months years is that consistent with what you understood
2: exactly with my granddaughter's circumstances Her life was best in utero. There was her problems literally would begin with her first breath. And that's because there would be no flow into her lungs from the right ventricle.
1: Okay. So from a layman's perspective, as soon as she's born, she's no longer going to have the benefit of oxygenated blood coming to her from her mother. So Mm -hmm. now she's got to do it on her own. And the way that her heart has underdeveloped with a whole section not functioning; that it's not supposed to under under the rules of how how hearts work. It's not supposed to be giving oxygen back into the blood system. She can't pull the the oxygen into her blood.
2: The lungs work, but there's no circulation to them from the right ventricle. So God has given us a workaround, and I got to tell you, it's it's not something you study in, in anatomy when you're going through medical school about the way that there is a retrograde flow into the lungs uh, from the systemic circulation. And this was critical in her her, uh, instance that that was the only way she was going to be able to survive. Well, this takes time to develop, and it doesn't develop just with the first breath, especially uh, under these circumstances. This took time, and unfortunately... Forty minutes after she was born, she coded. Perhaps more fortunately, as soon as she was born, there was a priest in the uh, in the labor and delivery room where she was delivered and administered baptism. So, within forty minutes after baptism, she ended up coding, needing to be resuscitated. She was placed on a ventilator. She stayed there for over six days. They were an- actually anticipating, because of the neurologic insult that she had sustained they were
1: neurologic insult is fancy language for trauma she yeah. had problems with her neuro with her brain and
2: basically it was in a knock what they call a hypoxic ischemic injury and she had been virtually labeled brain
1: dead on the 6th day and this is this is a baby that normally wouldn't even last 6 days but now is on life support and is brain dead as far as the doctors are concerned. I take it that you're talking your your daughter was talking to other doctors about pulling the plug and how to move forward with with other arrangements and grieving and that type of thing.
2: Well, partly, but my daughter wasn't talking about it. My daughter wasn't interested in pulling the plug. My daughter wasn't interested in calling it off. My daughter was <laughs> was remarkably <laughs> wanting to, it was quite she strong was in, in going forward. <laughs> yeah. And uh, in fact, actually, uh, uh, Charlotte, uh, after a, uh, a weekend period of uh, what re- we've referred to as weaning from the ventilator, actually her, uh, her own brain function was sufficient to drive her breathing centers to have her, breathe off of the ventilator. They actually extubated her a week on the seventh day after her birth, and she was breathing on her own. Granted, uh, they were not hopeful, the uh, physicians, and they were giving a very secular, very uh, you know, and, and honest uh, appraisal that, uh, you know, she was severely injured. And uh, from all intents, she was. The, the All the evidence pointed to the fact all – Coming from a medical perspective, I saw the data, and yeah. I got to tell you, it was, uh, it was,
1: it was. There was uh, data that you really did not want to share with your daughter. And I did at that not.
2: Point. I, did, I did not share it, yeah. and, uh, and in fact, I had a uh, personal conversation with the neonatologist.
1: Now let's fast forward a couple of weeks. What's happened since this happened? By the way, how old is Charlotte? She is four days short of her three month birthday. She's made it three months so far, and when she was in church the other day. She was sucking on a bottle, and I came up and started talking, and she leaned her eyes over toward me. The neurological functions, we don't know yet what's going to happen, but clearly she's awake, alert, alive, and I saw her feeding enthusiastically. <laughs> yeah.
2: So you're right uh, that uh, we are very hopeful and prayerfully so uh, for more miracles to continue. But I would still say, even to getting to this point, Charlotte is a miracle in just being alive. Now, coming from a medical perspective, knowing what I know, I'm not expecting that she's going to have a longevity that I would, I would expect that I would have.
1: Well, and whatever she does in life, she's not going to be running marathons anytime soon.
2: It's because of her particular anatomical problems. But I would say... Even that, praying for miracles, uh, you you don't get them unless you pray for them, and uh, we're going to continue to pray.
1: Well, I'm going to ask now, if you won't, that the, the audience that's listening now, the baby's name is Charlotte, and to continue to pray for Charlotte that her neurological and cardiological issues would be solved, at least to be ameliorated so that God can... Work with her so that her life continues to provide the profound meaning it's provided so far to both her and to those around her.
2: I'll add that every day of her being with us is considered for us a miracle. And I have given up on the idea of, you know, praying for a long life. That's not what I would pray for even for myself now. It it actually made me reflect back and think, just pray for a day, and just today. And that's all that uh, I want for myself, and I'll pray for Charlotte, because every single day that she's with us is another blessing.
1: So you, as a cardiologist and a granddad of a baby that has been born with a severe cardiologic problem, you as a Catholic have been reminded of the value of life at its ex- most extreme form and that it's, every day is a gift from God. Every day is a miracle. That's what you're left with, aren't you?
2: <laughs> well, yes. Uh, and when I have the opportunity uh, of taking care of, playing with, and, and being with Charlotte, I'm reminded of, of that and, and also reminded with what the effect has been on my daughter as my son-in-law and my wife, myself, and the community that knows uh, about Charlotte.
1: I know that it has had a profound impact on everyone at our church. You happen to also be involved in Knights of Columbus, your, this last year's Grand Knight, and I know that the, the, everyone there has been profoundly impacted by praying for Charlotte and seeing the miracles that have been happening for her day by day. And it's something that when we come back, I want to get into just a little bit, the miracle of life and how you've seen your role in helping in, in whatever corner of the world God has given you to continue to make that happen. I want to ask you, what has this done for you to further reflect on its value? You're listening to Orange County Catholic Radio. With me today is Dr. Patrick Merrill, and we will be right back.
4: This is John Romeri, Director of Music at Christ Cathedral in Garden Grove, California. We are just months away from the dedication of our beautiful cathedral. But in the meantime, we have some spectacular concerts at Christ Cathedral. Check out our website at ChristCathedralMusic.org or our Facebook page at Christ Cathedral Music. We'd love to see you here. Christ Cathedral Concerts, great music in a sacred place. For tickets, visit ChristCathedralMusic.org. Located on the beautiful Christ Cathedral campus in Garden Grove, Christ Cathedral Academy is a preschool through 8th grade private Catholic school offering an excellent and well-rounded education. Program features include a dynamic choral program, meet the masters arts program, and a full orchestra ensemble. Additionally, the academy offers a one-to-one technology program, integrating iPads, smartboards, and digital curriculum into every classroom. At Christ Cathedral Academy, our mission is to form leaders who share the rewards of religious and academic study so that they may praise God, bless our world, and preach the truth. We are now enrolling students for the next academic year. Call to schedule a tour and witness the amazing opportunities your child could be receiving at Christ Cathedral Academy. Call to schedule a tour, 714-663-2330, or visit ChristCathedral.academy.
1: And welcome back to Orange County Catholic Radio. And before we go any further, I want to make sure I pause for a moment because I will forget... I want to thank you, Dr. Patrick, for coming in and talking with us today a little bit about such a personal encounter you've had with the value of human life in your career and in your personal life. Thank you for coming in and being candid with our audience. This is not an easy thing to do. I mean, on the one hand, you're just having a conversation with me and the technical director is here and that's all that's in the room. On the other hand, you know, you've got a lot of people that are listening in who are being invited to hear and to benefit from what it's been like to be a Catholic physician in California encountering life issues. And you've graced us as well this last segment, talking about what it's been like as a Catholic cardiologist who's also a grandfather of a child with a severe cardiac issue who's now three months old and miraculously doing okay, and at least better than expected. So thank you for coming in.
2: You're quite welcome, and I'll I'll say yes She's doing okay and better than expected. I'd say there's, there's always going to be the life challenges, but I, I will say I know Charlotte's challenges are unique, but I, I'm sure that everybody can, can learn uh, that even their own life challenges are, just like everybody else's, unique. You know, we can learn from how one individual deals with their life challenges and how they can be successful. We don't know the number of days, but we have one day, and that's today. And we can keep praying for another
1: one. It has got to be galling in a way to be someone who has a deep faith in Jesus Christ and in the great gift of life that God has given to all of us, that you've spent a career trying to preserve and enhance, especially in the lives of people that have some very serious life issues, to see it so frivolously thrown away, both at the end of life, um, but also at the beginning of life in abortion in in California, how prevalent that philosophy is. We have, right now in several states, there have been laws that have been passed that have allowed and and encouraged virtually the way they've been presented, abortion up to the very last second of being in the uterus, nine months. Even uh, some laws that were suggested that didn't pass that would have allowed for infanticide, the ability to kill the child if it survived the abortion, but now it was no longer in the in the woman's body. That has to be galling. And I know that um, we've got so many things that are out there right now that have drawn attention to that, whether it's the New York law that was passed or on the opposite side, the movies that have come out like Gosnell or the most recent one now on Unplanned. How has it been for you as a physician to engage our culture, especially these last few months when it's become so personal for you with your grandchild, Charlotte?
2: Well, granted, uh, uh, the, uh, the, cer- the circumstances with Charlotte were certainly unplanned. Uh, Ooh, but <laughs> up,
1: <laughs>
2: But I would say that uh, living in California, where the emphasis has always been on saving the environment, recycling, et cetera, you know, what I find that the, 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 the one thing that seems to be not saved and uh, is uh, not treated uh, with re- even the respect of recycling is an infant. And I've educated my children uh by telling them that, you know, the rarest thing in the universe is a good idea, and there's only one species that makes or creates a good idea, gives a rise to a good idea, and you never know which one of the members of that species is going to be the one that's going to have that good idea. So you should protect every one of them because they may be the one.
1: We've had um 50 million or so children lost to abortion in the United States alone since Roe versus Wade in 1973, and that doesn't count the many more millions in other <clears throat> countries around the world, how many of those would have been Einstein's or the next Jonas Salk or someone to give us a cure for cancer or someone to uh, enlighten us with some of the best literature that's ever been written? It's all gone. You, We were talking um, earlier about how important one day at a time is, in our culture, it's become almost blasé to say that uh, you should celebrate your abortion. And we have young women who are looking at the life inside them, not from the perspective that God has graced them, with the privilege of carrying a life inside them that isn't their own life, but is a separate life from the moment of conception. I mean, as a doctor, I don't know where else you would say how else you would describe what it is to have the DNA come together when the sperm and the egg meet, except to say that's now a unique human being at its earliest stage of development, but it's a unique human being. It's not the mother. It's not part of the mother. It is housed in the mother. And yet, if it's inconvenient, if it is going to interfere, if it is going to be traumatizing, where sacrifice would need to be made, our society has chosen to allow... And encourage women to give their babies up to abortion, to death. You recently saw uh, the movie Unplanned. How did that strike you?
2: Well, watching the movie was, first of all, it was a uh, it, it's a powerful movie, um, and I would also recommend that uh, that it be uh, viewed. I'd say that there were things that were demonstrated in the movie uh, that I had never actually seen in my career in medical. Uh, training or in my practice and it was it, it made me so uncomfortable the way they even actually depicted it in the movie
1: not that it was inaccurate
2: it was it, it was accurate but it was actually it and it wasn't even but it was disturbing it, it wasn't even uh the most accurate i mean they, they could have made it more realistic but i gotta tell you even in the movie <laughs> the way that they had portrayed it was uh so un, un, unsettling that i Literally had to turn away at several of the scenes. It's a powerful movie, um, but, and watching it, uh, even those scenes that made me physically uncomfortable, it's still worth seeing the movie. It's something that, uh, I think if there's anyone who's ambivalent about the, uh, about, about this and what, uh, what the actual process is, this movie will move you to uh, having a, a recognition that you're, that what they are doing with an abortion is destroying a human life. There is no argument about when life begins. Every sentient individual who's gone through a biology class knows that it begins with conception. That's not an arguable point.
1: Um, From a natural law, it, a natural scientific perspective, you can't really argue that point. It, we're it, saying, yeah, it's just—I mean,
2: nothing that has been combined uh, with a sperm and egg uh, has ever come out anything other than a human. So, when you're talking about when does life begin, there's a continuum from at that point of a brand new life. That's a new life. It's a genetic distinction. I, I find it fascinating that people are talking about moving the uh, voting age down to age 16. Well, I would think, why don't we move it down to instead of 16 years, how about to how about 16 seconds? If you're born, you're 16 seconds old, you should have the right to vote. How about even moving it to 16 seconds after conception? You know, you protect those people, you protect them from the point of life throughout the rest of their life.
1: You have made a career out of saving lives. Uh, you're one of the doctors who took the Hippocratic Oath. I know that there are some that do not. At the end of your career or towards, towards the twilight of your career, what advice would you have for California in order to recover a little of the preciousness of human life?
2: Firstly, I'll just say... Um, even though I'm semi-retired, I'm hopefully not thinking that it's the twilight. I'm hoping that this is kind of like the noon of my career. And I would say uh, what what they should do again, is really respect life, and, and they should actually inculcate this type of mentality, even in the medical student, medical students and and getting it into the medical school. this It's a concept of natural law. You made reference to it before. It really does matter. Uh, that people should not have a, a a morally relativistic approach to the concept of life it's something that should be valued protected preserved to to do anything less is really is a, is a disservice to firstly the mother and then secondly and more more importantly is to the
1: infant thank you i think we are graced tremendously by having Catholic physicians like you who are able to carry on, we have not had you on the air before, and I'm glad that we were able to get you on today, partly because not only were we able to to talk about some of the philosophical ideas that have been generated in your life about life and death and how important life is, but for sharing with us the personal nature, especially of what's happened in your family uh and Charlotte that I hope that all of our listening audience will be praying for, as it demonstration of just how important an individual life can be, how many people Charlotte has touched and will continue to touch, and how important that individual life is to all the people around us, including Charlotte, who now has the opportunity to make of her life what God has given her to make of it. Thank you, Dr. Merrill. I appreciate you coming on. Would you please lead our audience in a word of prayer? Earlier, I falsely identified the Hail Holy Queen as the Memorari. Would you mind leading us in a Memorari for the sake of relevant radio and all of the billions of memoraries we're trying to lift up?
2: I would be happy. For life. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Remember, O most glorious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy helper, sought thy intercession, was left unaided, Inspired by this hope, I fly unto thee, O oh, Virgin of oh, Virgins, my mother, to thee do I come, before thee I kneel, sinful and sorrowful. O oh, Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy clemency
1: hear and answer me. The Amen. Of the Father and Father, Son, Son, Holy, Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Doctor Barrow, for coming on and talking to us uh, so deeply and intimately about life and how important that's been to you as a Catholic physician. You're listening to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host. If you would like to hear this again or to pass it on to somebody else, you can hear this as a podcast as well by going to our website at OCCatholic.com and you will find on there Orange County Catholic Radio and all of our hundreds of podcasts that we've had. This one will be up shortly. I'm Rick Howick, your host, and we will see you again next week.
0: If you have never experienced the beauty of the Sistine Chapel, now is your opportunity. From April 13th through the end of the year, Michelangelo's Sistine Chapel masterpiece will be on exhibition in the Cultural Center on Christ Cathedral campus, brought to life using a special photographic technique that reproduces the look and feel of the original paintings you will be given a chance to engage with the artwork in ways that were never before possible. For the first time ever, you can explore the artwork at your own pace and admire the art from a distance that is physically impossible to achieve in the actual Sistine Chapel. This is an extraordinary opportunity to gain a new perspective on some of the most famous artwork in history. It also provides an incredible chance for inspiration as well as reflection on the purpose and meaning of the work. For more information about this unique exhibit and to purchase your tickets, visit SistineExhibit.com. Student and group ticket pricing is available. Visit SistineExhibit.com. That's SistineExhibit.com. And awaken your curiosity to the innovative and unique interpretation of Michelangelo's timeless masterpiece. Man of the tombs
5: Who's in a place where no one goes At himself oh. with a pain that no one knows. He counts himself down. By you know. Some try to touch me But no one can The man of the tombs I am Down at the shoreline Two sets of footprints meet One voice is screaming Other voice begins to speak Clean in spirit and healthy of mind and man of the tombs He begs to follow but must stay behind He'll return to his family with stories to tell Of mercy and madness of heaven and hell All right